Hello and welcome to this week's instalment of Nicholas Investment Insights. We have another special guest this week in Peter Singer, who has been labelled, perhaps rightly, as the world's most influential living philosopher. Singer first became well-known internationally after the publication of Animal Liberation in 1975. His other books include Practical Ethics, Rethinking Life and Death, One World Now, and The Most Good You Can Do. He's the founding president of the International Association of Bioethics and of the organisation now known as Animals Australia. In 2005, Time magazine named him one of the 100 most influential people in the world, and in 2009, the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age included him among the most influential Australians in the past half century. So today we've got uh, Peter Singer on the podcast. This is a little bit of a different take to, to ordinarily... Uh, where we're really trying to dig into the investment themes that we can uh, we can get from our guests and and where they're going to change the way we uh, we invest within our portfolio. Today we're we're looking at Peter, who's one of uh, the world's foremost ethicists, and we obviously run a number of ethical screens in in Nucleus's portfolios, letting people access different areas of, of their investments. So what we really wanted to do was to get um, you know, Peter on there to, to talk through what we've done with our ethics portfolios and how he sees that sitting. And in particularly some of our views around uh, positive inv- ethical investing and, and how we tend to try and separate um, you know, your, your, whether you're donating versus whether you're uh, versus what you're doing in the, in, in your ethics. So, you know, the idea for us is that, you know, this, I, the whole idea about, do no harm within your portfolio um, and try and do good elsewhere in your life and and really getting Peter's views as one of the foremost, world's foremost uh, ethicists on, on what we're doing within these portfolios. After the interview, we'll then look at some of the wider investment implications that these themes can impact on how we invest money every day here at Nucleus Wealth. I hope you enjoy. Today on the show, we have philosopher, ethicist, author and founder of philanthropic organisation The Life You Can Save, Peter Singer, welcome to Nucleus Investment Insights. Thank you. I'm really happy to be with you. So, Peter, I thought we might just start by, um, just for our our audience, uh, if you wouldn't mind offering up a little bit of background about yourself uh, and, I guess, your drive to make a difference in the world. Uh, Okay, so background on myself. Uh, I was born in Melbourne in in 1946 and educated at the University of Melbourne, uh, studying uh, philosophy and history. I went to Oxford to do graduate work and uh, specialized in ethics uh, and really have been working in ethics for uh, all of my life since then. Uh, taught a bit at Oxford and in New York, then came back to Australia and taught at uh, Monash University for uh, more than 20 years uh, before going to Princeton, where I've also now been 20 years, although I still have a connection with the University of Melbourne and I'm back there for part of each year. Um, my major interests in ethics have been in applied ethical questions, or sometimes it's called practical ethics. Um, I've been particularly interested in global poverty and what we in the affluent world ought to be doing about it. Uh, and I've also been interested in uh, the treatment of animals and what's wrong with the way we treat animals and think about animals. You know, essentially, I, I, the moral status of animals, I suppose, is really what I've been focusing on. Uh, I wrote a book called Animal Liberation, published in 1975, which was credited by some with with triggering the modern animal rights movement. Uh, and I've been involved in a variety of animal groups in Australia, including 
being a co-founder of uh, what's now called Animals Australia, which I think is now the largest uh, animal organisation in Australia. Fantastic. Oh, that's um, yeah, quite a history and, and certainly a, um, a solid background. Um, just, I thought we might re- just quickly uh, move into, I guess, uh, and you, you didn't touch on it there, but the uh, the driving force, I guess, and, and from reading your book recently, um, was this, this thematic of effective altruism. Um, and I was just wondering if you might be able to just provide your background rather than me rehashing it, um, the, the, the differences between, or what, I guess effectively what is effective altruism and also the core differences to that which a person would assume is just doing good or being good. Right. Well, effective altruism is a movement that's uh, about 10 years old. Um, I didn't really start it, but one of my early articles, I, I said before I was interested in questions about global poverty and what we ought to do about it. So I had an article called Famine, Affluence and Morality published in 1972, one of the first things I published. Uh, and then I wrote, uh, when I got to Princeton in the early in 1999 and the early 2000s, I wrote a couple of articles for the New York Times Sunday magazine. Uh, and then I wrote this book, uh, The Life You Can Save, came out in 2009 and the 10th anniversary edition has uh, is just released t- today. So um, that's one aspect of effective altruism. Essentially, uh, I'm saying we ought to be thinking about others, so we ought to be altruistic um, to some extent, not necessarily in everything we do. I don't expect anybody to be saints and be purely altruistic, but what one of our aims ought to be to make the world a better place, especially where we can easily make a big difference to someone else's life at a small cost to ourselves. Um, So that's the altruism part of it, and that certainly had an influence on the start of the effective altruism movement. But the effective part of it uh, is also very important, and that's been focused on more by some of the other younger people involved, people like Toby Ord and, and Will McCaskill, who started trying to do calculations about the difference in how much good you can do by donating to one cause rather than another. And they found out that there were just enormous differences, you know, multiples of hundreds of times or even thousands of times as much good as you could do for a given, say, let's say for a donation of $100 than uh, with one with one organization rather than another. And so they started trying to publicize this uh, and eventually a uh, an organization called GiveWell was set up that uh, had researchers just uh, evaluating the effectiveness of organizations. So, and, and then The Life You Can Save, which I founded after the publication of, of the book of that name, um, started doing the same kind of thing. So um, global poverty is only one aspect of effective altruism, but it's, it's looking at, at how you can assess the effectiveness of what you're doing, how you can find the most effective organizations. And I have, as I've been saying, looking at that particularly in the field of extreme poverty because I think uh, the amount of good that we can do by donating to people who are extremely poor in in low-income countries really generally is, is vastly greater than the amount of good we can do by donating to charitable causes working in affluent countries. Um, but there certainly are uh, other things that I support. Um, I've already mentioned uh, looking at animals and the treatment of animals, and uh, there are certainly there's an immense amount of suffering that you can reduce. Uh, I think contribute to reducing uh, in the field of, of animal suffering, especially the suffering of animals in factory farms, because the number there is just so great. 
Uh, and some of the people in effective altruism are particularly focused on trying to reduce the risks of our species becoming extinct because they see that as the, the greatest catastrophe that uh, is imaginable. And even if the risks are not all that great, uh, you know, when you calculate the consequences, reducing a, a, a risk of 0.01% to 0.0001% uh, actually works out at having a lot mm, of value. Okay, sure. And that, that sort of, I guess that leads into where, um, what I wanted to sort of discuss with you about the, the ethical investing side, because we've, we've sort of come, and I guess we've inspired by, by some of your writings, we've sort of looked at that and, and, and had a real think about from our perspective, you know, what is ethical investing? And, and for my part, um, you know, I've had a look at a lot of different, um, a lot of different places that, that do ethical investing and there tends to sort of be three versions of it and, and I'm not quite as I'm not so sure that uh, that they're actually doing as much good as what you, as what they could possibly do I think from from that perspective and and my take is that they you have um, positive uh, inv- positive ethical where people say okay well, I'm going to go out and try and find companies that are going to save the world and I'm going to invest in those um, which is very difficult in terms of saying um, you know, everyone's out there trying to invest to make, to make money, and you're saying, "Well, if I'm going to try and find a company that's both uh, cheap, it's good quality, and it's going to save the world," um, you know, you, you've limited your portfolio to, to, to not very many stocks, and, and most of those stocks tend to be quite expensive as well, like because there are people out there who are who are sort of investing on that basis. Um, then you've got the sort of negative screens, which say, "Well, do no harm. I'm not going to invest in companies that, that don't sort of sit well with with my own ethical views. So I'm not going to um, say, for example, some people say, "Well, for gambling, I might know somebody who's a problem gambler, and I think that's terrible." And other people think, "Well, that gambling's fine. It's a bit of fun." And then you know, uh, and, and then uh, say tobacco is is another case where people might have exactly the opposite view. You know, the, the person who likes gambling doesn't like tobacco, and vice versa. Uh, and then finally, you have the, the best of breed, which sort of says, "Well, we're going to look at all companies and save, save for somebody who doesn't want uh, carbon, somebody who's got a, a who's, who's got an aversion to having anything with carbon in their portfolio. They might end up buying uh, a gas producer because they they they're better for the environment than than oil than an oil producer." But you know, at that stage, you're starting to get to the stage. Well, well, maybe I didn't want any carbon in my portfolio, though. You know, I did. I just didn't want the one that's doing the least damage, or, or I'm buying a, a a tobacco manufacturer that 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 is quite ethical in terms of how it how it advertises versus versus the worst um, you know t- tobacco companies. And so, of of the three different types, the sort of best of breed seems a little bit disingenuous. The the positive side also has the problem that. Um, when you're looking at positive ethical investment, there's a there's a case about what is your money actually doing. So if I if I said to somebody, well, I, I think you might actually lose money. Here's here's something that's a um, yeah, say a wave a wave company that's going to you might actually end up losing money over the over the next few years with it, but you've actually helped the industry. Uh, is is saying, well, surely there was something better you could have done with your money than 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 give it to another investor. And so my my take on the on the four different Takes actually, I might I might stop there and actually let before I before I sort of delve too much deeper and say, well, um, so from a, from an ethical investing point of view, uh, how do how do you see um, you know the most effective use of, of people's money? Well, I suppose the first question relating to what you said about um, you know the save the world companies is, um, are you really thinking of this as an investor or 
as a donor, as a philanthropist. So um, I, uh, a little while back, put a bit of money into a, a startup that's trying to replace foie gras. You know, now foie gras is a very cruel product. It's produced by force-feeding geese or ducks so that their liver actually gets diseased, gets so enlarged uh, and so fatty that it makes this uh, gourmet product. Uh, and this company believes that it can uh, make this product at the cellular level just by using uh, cells rather than by using whole animals, which, uh, if it's successful, will cut out the entire industry. Now, um, so I put a little bit of money into that, but it was a bit of money that um, I thought, you know, if I lose this, well, it will have been a donation to uh, something that had a reasonable chance of success. Um, and maybe, you know, who knows, maybe I'll, I will make money out of it if it's a, if it's a huge success. Um, but obviously, it's, it's, it's a highly speculative investment if you want to think of it an investment at all. And I think that's, that's an appropriate attitude to have to these sort of save the world companies. Um, you know, maybe it will save the world and um, maybe it won't. But uh, as long as you don't mind losing the money that goes into it and you'll think, well, it was, it was well spent because after all, you, can, you can't guarantee results and there was a good chance of a, a payoff, uh, then, I think, then I think that's fine. Um, otherwise, I think I, I agree with your approach that says different investors have different priorities and uh, that seems to me to be the way to go. But I would also like to get into dialogue with investors about what priorities they do have. And uh, in particular, as I said, I, I think some of those things are, let's say, you know, you might object to them, but they're less they're doing less harm than some of the other things um so uh i think that we ought to be thinking about which are the really big issues now climate change is obviously a huge issue climate change is is has the potential to make um hundreds of millions perhaps billions of people uh refugees uh if for example rains fail in parts of the world where uh, peasant farmers rely on rainfall to grow their crops and to be able to just survive in the areas where they're living. And if rainfall patterns change, temperatures rise, uh, they might have to leave their country. Uh, we know that some small Pacific Island nations are in danger of being submerged completely. Um, and that gets a lot of attention, but pe fewer people realize that there are much more heavily populated low-lying delta regions like the in Bangladesh and uh, the Mekong Delta in Vietnam, uh, where people could also lose the, the productivity of their land as it, as it becomes uh, saline through rising sea levels. So I, I think there's, uh, you know, this, this is an enormous issue and I do think it's right to focus on that. Um, you know, how hard you want to go. I noticed in your points you talked about, uh, well, not investing in, in uh, the use of coal. Uh, that's, that's a big no-no, I think. That's certainly the dirtiest fuel and uh, that would be one thing. Uh, whether you have any carbon at all is another. Uh, and I suppose whether you positively invest in co companies that are trying to find new forms of clean energy would be another thing altogether as and, well. And I guess what I, I don't... Uh, so I do think you know, we should think about those issues and then t we'll try to work out what what we want to do in those issues and how how strict we want to be. Yeah, and I guess that's where I'm coming from is I'd, I'd argue that saying, well... Uh, Let's let's take the the carbon side and saying okay, well, if if, if you have somebody who's who's got a, quite a strong view that yes, this is uh, I, I don't want to I don't want to profit from um, I don't want to sit my investments 
profiting from the sale of, of things that are polluting the atmosphere, then I can say, okay, well, let's let's cut that out. I guess what, where I'm coming to on the positive side is saying, okay, let's say you've got some some sort of clean clean energy that you're you're looking at. Um, if you go and buy a share from another investor, um, I don't think you've done anything to, or you've done very very little. I think that the the effect is 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 almost immeasurable in terms of what you've you've done. I think if you invest in a company that's doing a capital raising, so they're actually they're actually raising money to go out and spend money on the, on the investment, then I think that's a that's a big positive. Or, or certainly, a, but but a bigger positive would be actually buying the product they've got. So saying, you know, I think most companies would would actually much prefer to have another another customer rather than another shareholder, if that makes sense. So I guess if you if you think there's a good solar product, then buy the product. Don't don't you know, don't feel as if they'd be happier for you to do that than than give them more capital. And then the and that the top is saying, well, there's a donation you could make as well. So the donation is probably going to be even more helpful to, to to the whole factor if that if that makes sense. Yes, that definitely does make sense. I, I suppose you know there are some some cases where you can buy a product. So if it's making a solar hot water or or um, photovoltaic solar cells, you can certainly buy that and put it on your roof, and you should do it. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the the power that you get, um, some companies will allow you to specify that you want green power i'm not sure whether that's now universal around around australia um or in other countries of the world um or others you just have to accept the the mix that the power company is is giving you um but i yeah i, t- I take your point that buying uh, a share from one investor and from another doesn't make a lot of difference um i suppose there could be an argument you would know more about this than i do that that if more people buy the, the shares, the price goes up and the company is more likely to say, oh, well, we could we could do a capital raising and expand what we're doing now. Whereas if the price is falling, that might be harder to do. Would that be correct? Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's absolutely right. It's, I just think that's one of those ones that's so hard to measure, though. It's very much at the margin. And um, mm-hmm. I, I think if you said to some, if, if I said, okay, I'm going to spend $10,000 buying shares of this company, I might move the price up. You know, half a cent or less than half a cent or whatever it is in terms of the whole. Whereas if I say to the company, you know, next time you're doing a capital raising, I'm ready to go. I've got my ten thousand. You know, I'll register. I'll I'll register with Investor Relations and give me a call, and I'll. Yeah, I think that's right. that's much more effective, I suppose, in terms of now they're saying yes, I know I've got that ten thousand dollars, and I'll, I'll I'll go and add more from from others or investors and, and get enough to 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 do my capital raising. I think too it's 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 yeah. interesting um and it's important to frame in the um the context of the style of investment as well. So for example, um the investment that you mentioned before Peter with um effectively money that you're happy to do good with but if it disappears then you know you, you realize it's highly speculative. Um it's probably it's almost the inverse to our thinking where you know look we've got a superannuation product it's a long-term um you know competent um investment solution which we then offer the ethical tailoring piece and because of the nature of um, superannuation for example you you literally shouldn't really go and put money into companies that can evaporate your your capital as in those those plays you're doing so we're i guess that the hard bit for us is that we're we we're sort of confined to the top end of the investment spectrum being you know mega mega cap investments um and then right. and then and then but also then saying well look at the top end of it Ethics are important as well, particularly to the everyday investor. So um, through you know through our twenty eight odd screens that we offer, we give people the ability to put their fingerprints really ethically on on their portfolio. I guess if anything, so it goes in lockstep with the rest of their um, you know the rest of the, the way that they live their life. Um, and, and you're right, I think it is it's difficult. We're not buying a handful of BHP shares because of um, 
global warming, you know, concerns or something like that, as you say, but may not influence the, the, the direction of BHP at the margin. But at the same time, if everybody does it, as you say, it, you know, it starts to indicate to the company, well, if the share price has been under pressure, no one's buying it because we're doing the wrong thing. Well, perhaps we better start looking at better ways of doing it or, or avoid doing it altogether. Right. And of course, if you're running investment funds, then um, you're pulling together a lot of investors and it's not just the $10,000 purchase of BHP, which I agree is not going to make any difference. But um, but once you're talking about putting many millions uh, into shares of particular company, I don't want to particularly pick on BHP, but, but whichever ones it is that you think are doing the wrong thing, um, then that presumably can have an impact. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, I guess that's the whole point. If somebody has a, you know, an ethical mindset in the way that they run, um, you know, the way that they live their life, then I guess naturally, you know, it's great to be able to offer that through um, their retirement savings and, and other investments as well. Yeah. Uh, There's a couple of other questions I sort of, I guess I wanted to, to sort of apply to a, to you as a, um, as an ethicist, you know, there's um, there's obviously a lot of stuff coming out now on, on China in terms of the the Uyghur treatment and and, and issues in terms of Hong Kong. Um, you know, I guess the the thoughts are, um, what are your thoughts around investments in China or or in Chinese companies or within that whole sort of you know state owned entities versus versus private companies sort of uh, sort of area. Well, it would certainly be good to send a message to the, uh, the, the government of China that uh, there could be economic consequences from the treatment of the Uyghurs or the suppression of the protests in Hong Kong. I mean, as, well, I suppose as far as Hong Kong is concerned, the, the real issue is to let China know that if they really were to interfere directly in Hong Kong, that there would be very serious uh, economic consequences for them. Um, so I, I, I do think that it's it's reasonable to to do something about this, um, and uh, there's also, of course, the the espionage issues that um, uh, had a lot of attention recently. Um, I don't. I mean, it's hard because China is such a, a huge country itself. It's obviously got a it's its own huge domestic market, and and the idea of sort of cutting off trade with China is really hardly feasible. We're, we're so intertwined with all of that. But uh, direct investment in Chinese companies that are um, uh, sort of run by, run by the government or, um, uh, you know, closely, closely monitored and controlled by the government, uh, I think that's, you know, that, that is a problem in the, in the present situation. And uh, yeah, if, if there's a way of sending a message to the government of China that... Uh, its policies are not going to be beneficial for China's economy in the long run. That would be a good thing to do. And, and so, but I guess what I'm trying to get to, and I probably I probably should have phrased this question a bit better. So, let, so let's say I've got whatever it is. You know, I, I want to spend 15 minutes of uh, of my time to to do what I can to to sort of on that particular issue. Am I better off combing through my portfolio and finding stocks exposed to China and 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 looking to sell those, or am I better off writing letters to my my local members and actually trying to do something on the political side. So I guess that's – and that sort of sits, I guess, across most people's investments. I'm sort of using this as a microcosm for other things out there about saying in terms of this effective altruism, where, where's the best spend of my time for, for these types of factors? So, of course, and you could ask the same questions about, about climate change as well. Mm. Um, I do certainly think that on those issues we ought to be active citizens um, and probably it is more important to be an active citizen um, you know, well, perhaps to write to your MP, perhaps to 
join in uh, climate strikes or uh, whatever other activities, or for that matter, to send a donation to organizers that are uh, organizations that are trying to do more on climate change. Uh, all of those things are important. Um, in the case of in the case of China, it might well be more effective to be an active citizen and to try to screen out those uh, Chinese companies that might be in your portfolio. Uh, but again, as as you're pooling in investors um, and you have staff who could spend more than 15 minutes doing this, um, mm. that would seem to me to be a, a filter that you could offer um, to get, you know, offer the possibility to people to show their concern about what China is doing by saying uh, we can put together portfolios that do not hold investments in Chinese companies. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So we, we've we've done that, but and and we obviously look at the, the we look at it from the side of saying, um, okay, we'll, we'll let people make that decision themselves. We also look at it from an investment perspective. Obviously, that you know, if, if Chinese companies are spying and cheating, and that's how they've got to where they've they've got to, is that that's that's not a sustainable business model. And so, um, you know, probably you, fairly profitable in the short run, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Very, yeah, yeah, great for the short. But so, so it's not something we'll say. Okay, yeah, let's let's invest in this company because they're the best at stealing stealing technology from Western um, countries, and and also, you know, we have a we have an investment view that um, you know the 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 real uh, the real crux of say America or Australia or, or the UK's um, uh, technological. You know, dominance over over some of the other countries is is the people, and and so and and the freedom of expression and things like that 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 actually then inspire people to to, to think out of the box. Whereas we think in, in repressed countries, it's very hard for to say to people, no, no, you sh- this is exactly the way you shall think about the political system. Now go out there and be innovative in, in all these other places, and don't you know start thinking out of the box over there. But don't you got to think inside the box over here? We don't think that that actually creates you know um, sustainable companies that can. Can, can, can grow yeah. so yeah um just a quick one peter uh, i thought i'd just quickly uh obviously uh pick through your book over the last couple of weeks and uh fantastic read and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in a moment but it, I, you touched on a um a, i guess a theme of what, what they what could be described as philanthropic graffiti um which i found um quite quite interesting and uh, you, you gave a number of examples there one was a, a concert hall which was essentially plastered with all the major donors um and, and it, it sort of struck a chord with me because then you know in a similar time i think it was last week there was a, an announcement with jeff bezos recently um donating a fantastic amount 100 million um, us i think it was over the last 12 months to um to help with homelessness um, but then of course when you reflect this against uh as a percentage of his net worth it was uh, a fraction of of one percent i just are you finding i guess uh, or, or perhaps your just thoughts on on the the topic of philanthropic graffiti and um you know is it is it something that um is becoming more endemic i guess as the you know, the rich seem to get richer Yes. Um, I mean, so the graffiti stuff is really about our people just giving to get their names on something. And is that why there's so much money going into new buildings? You know, look, um, here I am at Princeton University uh, across the road from my office. There's the Lewis Science Library, which um, was a Frank Geary building, a very expensive building on campus. Um donated money from Peter Lewis, you know, did the campus, and there's also a Peter Lewis Art Centre, did, did the campus really need these buildings more than it needed anything else, like, um, you know, hiring more people to teach or scholarships for needy students or something like that? Um, I don't know, but but I do know that some of the philanthropists are keener to donate to buildings that will have their names on them than they are to donate to scholarships where there's no sort of visible 
presence, um, even if it's called a so-and-so scholarship. It's not something that you walk around the campus and see. So mm-hmm. I think that does have a distorting effect on philanthropy. And I regret that because part of the effective altruism movement is that we want philanthropy to be as effective as possible. Um, and that actually, since you mentioned Jeff Bezos uh, donating $100 million to homelessness, um, I really hope that somebody, um, either he set it up or someone is is checking how successful this is because we've had some of these dramatic donations. Um, in fact, Mark Zuckerberg gave exactly the same amount to uh, Newark, an impoverished town in New Jersey, just across the river from New York, um, to, to improve the schools. Um, and some of the follow-up articles I've seen about that suggest that this was done hastily without too much consultation to people who really knew about the problems of the school systems of Newark, that a lot of it was swallowed up in consultants' fees and that essentially that $100 million has been spent without there being any really dramatic changes in the quality of schooling in, in Newark. Now, um, you know that's just a report I've read. I, so I'm not saying that I know this to be the case. But um, you know these things are really opportunities to learn how you can make a difference and, and homelessness specifically everybody who lives in a in, in the United States in a major city is well aware of the problems of homelessness of course people are in Australian cities as well um, the question is can we do something about this and at what cost and, and one of the reasons that I've um, talked about global poverty rather than the poverty of people in wealthy countries and homeless people in wealthy countries is that my my estimate is that you can help people in low-income countries and ch- transform their lives in a positive direction for a small fraction of what it costs to transform the lives of, of homeless people in uh, affluent nations. Um, now, I'd, I'd, I'd love to be proved wrong by that. I mean, proved wrong by the idea that you can effectively transform the lives of homeless people in affluent nations. Um, not, of course, that it's more expensive to help the lives of people in low-income countries. I think we have very good evidence that uh, when you're talking about people who are living on $2 a day, uh, quite modest sums of money can dramatically uh, improve their lives. But is this going to be true for homelessness? And if so, what is it that we do? Is it that we give them uh, mental health opportunities to uh, to have mental health issues treated or to have uh, substance abuse issues treated? Or is it just that we provide um, shelters, uh, shelters that are different from ones that are run now, um, we don't really know, I think. And uh, my, my concern is that, you know, that money could have been much better spent because it could have helped a much larger number of people um, if it were allocated to the, the, real, the, the charities that we know are really effectively helping people on very low incomes in low-income countries. Yeah. I guess one pushback on, on that as, as well is that the, if you look at sort of the, the income inequality statistics, uh, it seems to show that um, income, you know, obviously the, the 1% done really, really well over the last, whatever, 20, 30, 40 years, whatever, whatever period you measure it. Um, on a global scale, though, the bottom end, the, the poorest countries have actually done uh, quite well as well in terms of moving up. And a lot of it seems to be at, at the cost of the, um, the poorer people in, in richer companies countries, which is then arguing as to why you get, say, a Donald Trump or, or a Brexit or, you know, I guess um, a number of more extreme, I guess, susceptibility to people who are, who are uh, less careful with the truth, shall we say, than, than, <laughs> than others and, and willing to 
uh, sort of, you know, so, so you know, I guess, do you, do you have a thought on, you know, at some stage, if you, if you donate too much to those poorer countries, you actually disenfranchise the, 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 the 99% of the, of the bigger countries and you end up with, with uh, sort of demagogues being voted in? Well, I think if you're going to talk about um, inequality, you you have to talk about that on a global scale. Um, and the fact is that somebody is earning forty thousand dollars here in the US, which is which is, you know, they're certainly not going to think of themselves as being in the in the top one percent. But globally, they are. Forty thousand dollars puts mm-hmm. you in the top one percent of the world. Um, so, mm-hmm. although it may be true that those people may be disgruntled and um, that we need to. Uh, you know, do more to meet those concerns. Um, I think that if you if you are concerned about inequality, you can't just look within the affluent countries. You you have to look across boundaries, and um, there are really effective ways of helping uh, people on very low incomes. Uh, and probably the you know helping the people at the bottom of the low income countries is not really putting people in America or Australia out of work because they're not really still not part of the global economy, even if they get above the $2 a day level and so have enough to eat and can afford some minimal health care if their kids get ill. Um, still, they're, they're, they're participating in a local economy rather than making products for export to affluent countries. Yeah, and I think um, that whole sort of um, you know economic rationalism, or I guess more simply put, bang for buck um, element, um, it sort of rings true. Myself in a Rotary Club where we had uh, you know thirty thousand dollars to spend on a project a couple of years ago, uh, and we ended up uh, helping out a um, an orphanage in Tanzania. We did a four kilometre boundary fence, solar panels hot water service, books, and, and et cetera, um, whereas if we were going to do something like that in Australia, 30000 wouldn't have covered the permits for the fence. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think you're right, you know, just the ability to get to get so much more out of, um, you know, a, a, a certain amount of money and like anything, you know, we've only got limited resources and so you go, okay, well, you know, following those tenets of where can you do the most good, obviously it was a lot it was a lot harder to, to instigate that through, you know, Rotary being an international organisation, you can find... Um, partnership clubs on the other side to help manage that which takes away a lot of that project risk um but yeah look 100 i think i agree where you're going um we met the the other uh, well, when we when we did meet a couple of months ago um you were over um chatting for a, a financial planning association conference on the topic of uh ethics and uh, i guess essentially into uh, financial advice and the and the financial services industry um, and this was, you know, as a follow-up to the, the recent Royal Commission into Banking, um, which uh, I think, if anything, uh, certainly highlighted the fact that um, ethical behaviour in the finance industry was due for a tune-up. I was just wondering um, your thoughts on uh, the way forward for the Australian financial service uh, you know, industry and, and I guess, uh, you know, what that can mean to the, the consumer in regards to ethics? Yes, I think, um, you know, there have been positive moves, um, in particular away from uh, financial advisors uh, earning their income from commissions on products that they put their clients into. Um, that's uh, certainly helped. Um, and I understand that uh, you can't be directly um, on, a, on a commission basis in that way, but there still seem to me to be some, some loopholes in that, in that uh, you could still be working as a financial advisor for a company that has investment products, and even though your annual earnings are not related directly to 
the extent to which you put your clients into the company's products, um, it's still possible that your pay rises at the end of the year, which will follow a review of your performance, uh, will will not be blind to how much of your client's money has gone into the company's products. So I think there are still some gray areas in that that um, maybe need to be looked at in order to really clean up the entire industry and make sure it doesn't slip back into something that was not so different from what it was. Mm, yeah, well said. And I think well, even just your um, job security, I think a lot of the time relies on <laughs> on those metrics as well. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah. Look, that's a great point. And, and, that's, and that's an argument though, isn't it? There's, an, there's another financial planners who, who are basically going the other way saying, well, if we're doing if we're doing stuff more like a, a lawyer or an accountant and they get paid on an hourly basis, then, then maybe that's a, a more effective way that, that aligns people's... Uh, yeah, or, yeah, just man, to, mandate that, that ex, you know, the exclusion or the separation between the advice and the actual um, product. Be product agnostic or build a really good product, but mm-hmm. don't try and cross those boundaries. Yeah, I think that's right. There needs to be some separation there. Fantastic. Um Okay, well, look, I thought uh, we'll be mindful of your time and um, obviously, uh, as we heard uh, before the show, it's starting to get cold over there in uh, in Princeton. So we thought we might uh, wrap up. But first, if we could just, uh, if you wouldn't mind offering up, I thought considering the, the conversation we've had today and the, and the thematic of, um, of trying to, to do the most good, we're rolling into Christmas. It's a great time for people to um, embrace their inner altruism or altruist. And I was wondering if you might be able to share with us um, Peter's uh, top five things to consider to, to save a life for anybody mulling over helping out a, another person into the Christmas period. Sure, I'm happy to do that. But I, I do want to um, mention that uh, today is the publication date of the revised 10th anniversary edition of The Life You Can Save, which is the book I wrote, obviously, 10 years ago. And uh, we've revised this and brought it out. But the most important thing I want to say is that although with the first edition it was published by uh, commercial publishers, Random House in the US and uh, Text in Australia, um, we've got back the rights. Uh, kudos to, to Text in Australia. They donated us back the rights. Uh, Random House in the US didn't do that. They made us pay something for them. But but the rights are now held by the non-profit organization that I founded, The Life You Can Save. And... Uh, they have decided to make the ebook and the audiobook available completely free. And you can get it now as a free download by going to thelifeyoucansave.org.au if you're in Australia or without the AU if you're not in Australia. Uh, and, um, and you can get the book. And the audiobook in particular is read by a number of celebrities. Uh, my favorite is, is Paul Simon, the singer-songwriter. Um, who I remember listening to back in the 70s when it was singing with Art Garfunkel as Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, Also, Kristen Bell, who's uh, an actress and works for The Good Place, a TV series that does a lot of ethics. Um, Stephen Fry, uh, BBC uh, talk host and uh, comedian, and uh, and a number of other other people. So uh, that actually has in it, I am getting to answer your question, that actually has in it suggestions at the back of, the actions that you can take to to make a difference. And one of them, in line with what we've been talking about, is to go to uh, thelifeyoucansave.org.au and you'll find a list of charities where to donate. And uh, these are charities that have been independently assessed as being highly effective and will give you great bang for the buck in your donation. Uh, and if you, you know, 
if if you're wanting to give a Christmas present to somebody who already has everything that they could possibly need, um, you know, make them feel good by saying uh, we've donated to effective charities, or maybe there's a all charities fund that um, the life you can save has that goes to all of the charities, uh, and you know you know that you've really helped a lot of people in in great need. So that's um, certainly one thing that I would say that people can do. Um, obviously, uh, we've talked about getting political as well. I think that's uh, really important to be an active political concerned citizen and try to make the world a better place uh, through that. We're privileged to be living in, in, in societies where we can do that, where there is a not a perfect but a, clearly a functioning democracy and we can make a difference. So um, definitely do that. And, and and actually, when you say getting getting active, so what's so? Do you think is it joining a party, or is it more just frequent conversations with your your local member, or what? What do you think the most effective way for in Australia would be? If you have the time to get involved in a political views? party and support that, I think that is the best thing to do. Um, yes, find the political party that best suits your values. Um, join it. That will involve going to meetings, but uh, also importantly, it'll mean that when elections come around, you're available to leaflet or to hand out how to vote cards at elections. Uh, and and, and uh, those, are, those are certainly things that political parties need. Plus, you can have an influence on the party, if you remember, by going to meetings and, and talking about what the policies should be. Uh, but if you don't have the time to do that, then simply contacting your member, I think, does make a difference. I think members know that only a small proportion of the their electorates actually go to the trouble to contact them, but um, they take that therefore as you know something that's representative of a much larger number of people. Uh, you can also try to get your views across by writing letters to the papers or blogging or uh, using social media to encourage people to think in uh, about the issues that you think are important. So there are there are quite a lot of things that you can do. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention, you know, is is just to sort of go into the world with a smile on your face and a cooperative approach. I think uh, the assumption, you know, we should assume that people are mostly good natured and and want to do good. Uh, sometimes we'll be disappointed when we make that assumption, but more often than not, we'll be we'll be pleased. We'll find that they're happy to cooperate with us in various things and. Uh, you know, generally talking to people, being positive. You can work with their, like neighborhood groups to get people in neighborhoods to know each other better, have street parties and things like that. I think all of those things are ways of building a better quality of life and also communicating with um, more people about the issues that really matter. Mm, fantastic. All right, very good. We'll look. Uh, we'll certainly um, pop a uh, a link to the Life You Can Save uh, uh, page on your on your website as well, if you like. And uh, just as a quick uh, getaway, I, I noticed it was uh, offered on Giving Tuesday. Was there? Yes, was absolutely. We can do the release for Giving Tuesday, and um, you know the book itself. As I say, we we are we are giving away, so that's already a gift. But we want more people to read it. We want you to. To, to get it, to tweet about it, to put it on Facebook or other social media um, and let more and more people know that uh, this book, which already has had a significant influence on the lives of a lot of people, including some very wealthy people who've made very substantial donations, but a large number of ordinary people who've made more modest ones. Um, but let's try, and, let's try and, and multiply the readers by tenfold or a hundredfold, and I think it'll do more good if more people read it.
Well said. Yeah, no, look, uh, and I can uh, attest that it was a yeah, fantastic book and I look forward to, uh, I've already handed it out to a few of my, my family members. No, and I'll be, you uh, just doing have a lot to send them the link, you don't even have well. to hand it out. <laughs> very true. Okay, very good. Well, look, thanks again for your time, Peter. Uh, love your work, love following everything you're doing and uh, we look forward to getting you on thanks the show that. sometime thanks. soon. Bye. Thanks a lot. So, Damien, a terrific 40-odd minutes there spent with uh, one of the world's renowned leading ethicists, Peter Singer. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, look, usually we use this as a bit of an investment wrap-up just to sort of go through and, and, and talk about how it's changed our views on, on the portfolio or, or uh, with, in terms of what stocks we own and, and what change we're going to make. I think this one's more obviously about the whole structure of the portfolio and, and you know, within your investments and, and how you deal with the rest of your life, uh, you're treating the, the uh you're treating ethical investment. And I think, you know, he's obviously got some some quite good points and I think that's well worth looking at some of these, uh, digging into those sites for your own um, for, you, for your own donation purposes and, and working out how to be most altru- altruistic yourself. But it, but it does uh, reinforce, and I, and I guess we, we sort of knew this coming in because we'd based some of this, some of the structure of our product on some of his teachings. But that whole thought about, you know, really separating between saying, you know, if, if you want to try and do good, try and work out what's the most effective way for you to do it and, and giving your money to another investor and, and potentially losing money giving to, you know, people might feel good about saying, well, I invested in a biotech stock and, and, and that stock went down and, and, but I was, you know, but, but they did end up with a cure for something or, or they tried to get a cure that didn't, it didn't fail. And at least I helped. Mm. You're saying, well, you, you might, you, if you just gave your money to invest another investor, you probably didn't really help that much. You probably were better off you know, making a donation, going to his website, finding out, you know, that cause or, or buying one of their products. Whereas um, uh, the whole idea about making sure that you're not profiting from things you don't have. Um, yeah, yeah, you don't believe in. You don't believe in, yeah. yeah. So making sure your investment's doing no harm. So really separating your buckets and, and not trying to, you know, underperform on your on your ethical investments and feel as if you're doing some 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 good for the world for by your underperformance. Mm. And I think there's also some value in having the ability to mirror your your ethical tastes, um, both in long term aspects such as superannuation, uh, combined with the shorter term plays, as Peter said, which is uh, the more uh, the newer new entries to market, which are much riskier, can have a lot more impact. But uh, whether or not they should sit in a long term, uh, you know, retirement style savings plan is probably a, another question. Yeah, absolutely. And and we very much tried to design our product to do um, the core part of people's investing, and that's that's the whole idea with us is that you know that you will try and stick things you like around the edges of that. So the core of your investment sits in something safe, secure, blue chip stocks, bonds, those types of um, those types of investments. But then around that, you can invest in higher risk. You know, if there's a, a lithium stock or a gold stock or something you've got a strong view on. And also if there's something, you know, that you do think, you know, here's, here's a new energy source that could save the world and make me lots of money, you know, you can stick that in there. But it's not going to be 50% or 80% of your, your net wealth mm. going into that. You, you, you're trying to, for your retirement, you're, you're keeping that, 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 that part safe and, and playing around the edges with, with much smaller percentages. Well said. Well, that's it for now, and thanks for watching. If you like what you heard today and you'd like to hear more, head over to nucleuswealth.com forward slash subscribe, give us your email address, and in return, we'll send you a weekly email with new webinar topics, links for our podcasts, and other news from Nucleus Wealth. I certainly hope you've got something out of today, as I have, and we'll look forward to catching you with the next one. Cheers. Cheers.